from 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. He who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I've always been intrigued with those verses, and certainly with that song that we just sang together, because it speaks to something that really is the goal of life, to seek, to find, and to know God. But the question this morning is, how do we know God? Well, how do we know God? Can we get it from a book? Can we go to Barnes & Noble and buy a how-to book and figure out how to know God? Can we get it from listening to someone, listening to a sermon, listening to a podcast? Can we really know God that way? Well, reading a book and certainly listening to a podcast are not bad things to do. and can be very helpful, and reading Scripture can certainly help us get to know the story better and get to know God that way, but when it really comes down to it, in Scripture, we read that we get to know God through action. We get to know God by loving others. To love others is to participate in the very nature of God. When we roll up our sleeves and do the hard work of love, getting into one another's lives, if we don't do this, then God will always be a theory. God will always be nebulous, something we can't quite, quite get our minds around. Which brings us to our sermon passage this morning, Matthew chapter 18. If you would, turn to Matthew 18 and go ahead and mark that. And then turn back to Matthew chapter 6. So mark Matthew 18 and turn back to Matthew chapter 6. Both of these passages really speak to the hard work of love. It's really where the hard work of love is put to the test because we're confronted with one of the most challenging aspects of love, and that is to forgive. And so we have that line in the Lord's Prayer, that line that we say periodically here at Brentwood Oaks, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's found in Matthew chapter 6 as Jesus gives his disciples that wonderful prayer. But that is a hard line to say. Well, it's easy to say. It's easy to say, but it's very difficult to actually do. There's a story that's actually recorded in a, a Swiss church's records that goes back to the 16th century. And in their records, they talk about this one man who would say the Lord's Prayer but when he got to that line about forgiveness, he would pretend like he forgot the words. And he did this because there was a merchant who owed him money. And in one respect, I really admire that, because he takes seriously the words that he confesses. And he says, if I'm going to say it, I'm going to mean it, so I'm not going to say that line. Well, I think Jesus understands that the disciples and really the church is going to struggle with that line in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we know this because if you look at chapter 6, right after Jesus gives the model prayer, he gives some commentary on the Lord's Prayer, and the only line he talks about is that one. Look at verse 14 of chapter 6. Hear these words. 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, let me repeat that, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's a hard word. Well, Jesus doesn't just stop there with a couple of lines of commentary. He gives a whole chapter of commentary on this line, and that's in Matthew chapter 18, our sermon passage this morning. Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 18 to the church. He's talking to the church, and he's challenging the church to do a few things. He's challenging them at the beginning to consider the little ones, the weak, the frail, the young in the faith, take care of the little ones. Go and seek them out as a shepherd seeks out a lost sheep. And then Jesus starts to talk about sin. And he gives some very practical guides on how to deal with sin. If someone has sinned against you, the way you address it is to address it. Which is something that's not common among us. You go to that person and you tell them what they did. And if you can't resolve it, then take two or three witnesses with you and try to resolve it that way. And if you can't resolve it there, then bring it to the community and have the community discern this situation. And if this person has sinned and they're unrepented, then they're out of the family, they're out of the church. And that sounds harsh. But Jesus does not want sin to linger. It doesn't, he doesn't want sin to fester in the church and grow because it spreads, it's contagious. So we deal with it in the community. Well, of course, this spurs Peter to start thinking, and Peter has some questions. And the question that he, he asks is the first part of our sermon passage this morning in Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. So hear the word of God from the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 18, verse 21 and following. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And there's another translation in there that says 70 times 7 I prefer the 77 times, and we'll hear about that here in a moment. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. It's an astronomical number. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, a master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused. 
and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, I remember it well. A fight with my sister that got out of hand. I'm 16 months older than my sister, and for the most part, we got along great. But there were times when we butted heads. And from the time I was a little guy, there was a rule in the house, I couldn't touch my sister. Well, she knew that. And so she would do everything in her power to provoke. And whenever, when there was an object close by, I knew it was time to run because she was liable to pick it up and throw it. And she had great aim. She was a softball player. Thankfully, I had a panic room. The hallway bathroom had a lock on it. And so I would flee and stay in there till everything subsided. And usually it worked. There was one incident in particular, though, and I'm not proud of it. I was 10 or 11. I was too old to be fighting this way, but we got into it. I don't even remember what it was about, but it's one of those fights that escalates. Someone does something to someone. They say something, and she knew a particular button to push, and she pushed it, and I got angry, and she could see it. And so she fled to the panic room. Well, I, I knew I could hurt her in different ways because of my anger. And one thing that she treasured was her room. She was very orderly, and she kept everything in place. She, had, she kept it spick and span. So I unleashed my wrath on her room. And in a couple of minutes, I created a piece of artwork that only an angry brother could create. And I marveled at my work. And I said to myself, I've won. I've won this battle. So I went to my room and I I watched. And I couldn't wait to see her reaction. And I even braced myself for the wrath that was to come. And so... She walked out of the panic room, and she went to her room, and she surveyed the chaos. And then she looked at me, and I was ready for it. But she didn't give the reaction that I thought, and she did something that I will never forget. She went to the middle of her room and got down on her knees and began to cry. And it wasn't the kind of loud cry that would summon mom and dad, hey, look at this. It was a silent sob. And it's at that moment I realized I truly broke her heart. And that victory that I thought I had, 
was a hollow victory at best. It was no victory at all. And in that escalation, I realized that both of us lost in that moment. But that's the way the story goes. That's the way the cycle of escalation always ends. It always ends that way. We think there are winners, we think there are losers, but everyone is a loser in that battle. We see it all the time. We saw it Friday in those horrible events that happened in New Zealand, in the massacre. I won't go into all the details, but we see the depths of human depravity in those moments. But with the horror of that incident there in New Zealand, we also had these side battles that are awful. There's this thing called Twitter, a cesspool, if you will, where someone, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you are on politically, both sides of the aisle do this. Someone feels like they have to comment on this particular situation, and then thousands of people rally and have to comment on that comment, and all of a sudden a war of words erupts online, and the goal shifts. The goal shifts from trying to engage one another in helpful dialogue, and it moves to winning the war of words and using the weapons of sarcasm and condescension and wit. And there will be winners, and there will be losers. And meanwhile, you have these families in this horrible moment while thousands of people are sucked into this cycle of escalation and vengeance where everyone loses... Everyone loses. That's the way it's always been. That is the way that it has been since the very beginning. You can go back to Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 4. And if you would go ahead and turn there to Genesis chapter 4, where we have the fall of man, where sin entered into the world and distorted so many things. It distorted our relationship with God. It distorted our relationship with one another. It even distorted our relationship with the creation. Everything was touched by the tentacles of sin. And then we get to chapter 4 and we see this played out with the story of Cain and Abel where Cain murders his brother out of vengeance, out of envy. He takes his brother out. And then we have a descendant of Cain in chapter 4 beginning in verse 23, Lamech. Lamech is a descendant of Cain. And Lamech comes up with this song. He sings to his wives. Have you ever read Lamech's song? It's a terrible song. I was trying to think of uh, notes to sing with it. I'm not going to sing it for you, but you can imagine. You just put your own notes in there and listen to the words of the song of Lamech from Genesis chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zelah, Hear my voice, you wise of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's vengeance is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. What a horrible song. Lamech's uh, vengeance is seventy-sevenfold. It doesn't end. And everyone loses. And he's proud of it. I can't think of a more descriptive uh, a more descriptive uh, fall. A more de- uh, I can't think of a better description of the fall of man than Lamech's song in Genesis chapter 4, 
verses 23 and 24, the cycle where no one wins. Well, further down the road from Lamech, we have God mitigating the violence, mitigating this cycle, and he gives the Israelites the law. And within the law, we have an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's fair. Someone takes your eye out, you take their eye out. Nothing more. You don't take their life. Just their eye. Someone knocks out your tooth. I don't know how you do this, but you knock out their tooth. Tooth for tooth. Well, God did that to protect the people. He gave them that law to protect them from the Lamex of the world who would exact their vengeance 77-fold for knocking out a tooth. That's the song of Lamech. And I wonder if it's in the spirit of the law, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, where Peter asks this question, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times? That is the complete number. That's the perfect number. It's a legitimate question. Where is the line of forgiveness? How many times do I need to do this? And it's a question that resonates with all of us. Because of all the commands of God, the command to forgive our brother or our sister is the most challenging command that there is. When we forgive our brother or sister, what we are saying is, I release you. I release you. I release you of the penalty of my revenge. I release you of the debt that you owe me. I release you of my right to get even with you. I release you of me bringing up this sin over and over again and weaponizing it and using it to destroy you. I release you. And there is nothing easy about saying that. I mean, it's one thing to have kids and have them train them to work out their anger. That's what we do with children. We train them to work toward reconciliation. Little brother does something to little sister. Little brother, you need to acknowledge what you've done. You need to acknowledge the pain that you've caused. Little sister, you need to accept that apology. We train them. We train them to ask for and accept forgiveness. And yet, when we are adults, there are some situations, there are some challenges where all that training we received in childhood is easy to say and extraordinarily difficult to do because the wounds are real and they cut deep. Especially when we've been hurt in devastating ways. And Jesus says, release them So do you have that person in your mind right now who has sinned against you? I think it's important here at the end to spend some time asking why is Jesus Jesus so adamant that we forgive? And really this goes to the heart of the gospel. It goes to the reason why Jesus came in the first place. Jesus came to give humanity a new trajectory. 
to show humanity a new way to live and to empower humanity to do so. Whenever he gives the answer to Peter, to Peter's question, whenever he tells him the parable of the unmerciful servant, essentially what Jesus is saying is, humanity, you've been down this road. You've been down this road of the Song of Lamech, that 77-fold vengeance where no one wins. You've been down that road. How's that worked out for you? You've been down that road of withholding forgiveness, of harboring that bitterness and that anger and that deep resentment, and it is literally making you sick. You've been down that road of drinking that poison of vengeance. You've been down that road of eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And what has that done for you? Has that changed anyone's heart? Has that helped you get to know God, the God of love? Because to know God is to know how to forgive. To know God is to know how to forgive. Well, how do we do that? If it's not an option, how in the world do we do that? Well, it begins right here at the table. It begins with the cross here at the front of the pulpit. It begins with our recognition of our own release that Jesus gave us at the cross. It's at the cross where the cycle of vengeance is broken. It's at the cross where Jesus absorbs the hate and the anger and the resentment. It's at the cross where he tells us, bring your sin to me. I release you. It's at the cross where Jesus teaches us a new song. We no longer sing the song of Lamech, the 77-fold vengeance. We sing the song of Jesus, the 77-fold forgiveness. And it's not a forgiveness to treat lightly. It's not a cheap forgiveness. It's not a forgiveness where we just dismiss our pain. It's not a forgiveness where we just run back to the abuser and say, forgive and forget, let's pretend that nothing ever happened. There's no such thing as forget. But there is such thing in our heart of hearts by the grace of God to forgive. Well, maybe reconciliation is not possible because with reconciliation it takes two to tango. But forgiveness is possible. It's required. Well, Jesus, you don't know exactly what I've been through. And Jesus says, I do know what you've been through. I've heard your cry for justice. Release them. Jesus, you don't know the depth 
you don't know the depth of this wound, the pain that has been caused. And Jesus says, I do know the pain. I do know what pain is like. I do know what betrayal is like. Release them. Well, how's this person supposed to learn their lesson? How are they supposed to learn what they've done to me? And Jesus says, I know the cost of forgiveness. Release them. I've taught you a new song. It is the only way to live. It is the only way to truly be free. When we think about it, when we say, I release you, aren't we really saying, I release me? I release me. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. He who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Let's pray. Our Father, We remember the man in Scripture whom Jesus challenged to believe. And we remember his cry. I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. We echo that cry with forgiveness. We've been hurt. We've experienced pain. Help us, Lord, to forgive. By your grace and by your mercy, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And together we say, Amen. How precious is that flow, the blood of Christ that washes us clean. We want to offer an invitation at this time, if you'd like to respond to the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and the new life that can only be shared in Him. We invite you to respond as we stand and as we sing.